0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nikrita, your host. Very good to be with you again. Today it's an amazing topic and I urge you just now to find the Bible and uh, open it up with us uh, in Revelation because we are going to talk um, a subject which really intrigues many people and minds, Satan and his allies. I would like to just welcome our uh, panel today. And uh, thank you, Helen, for coming with us again.
1: Oh, another blessing. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and Ligia, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Thank God for the privilege of being here.
0: Ken? Yes, Nick, great to be here again. Thank you for coming with us, Ken. Brendan, our facilitator, welcome to to the program. I know that in the last uh, couple of weeks you were able to lead us uh, through the studies. Let's hand the microphone right to you now.
3: Thank you, Nick, and thank you, everybody. It is indeed a privilege to be here. I would ask not only our panel, but of those of us who listen to just ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our study today, because it is a very important study. I would like to take this opportunity of asking us to bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come before you in prayer through the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. We thank you for his precious Sacrifice on Calvary for our sins We have been reminded this week Lord With some of the turmoil that has gone on Inside of one of our largest churches The Catholic Church And I want to remember specifically Lord Your precious people Some of whom will be wondering where the future is And what what hope there is for them Their confidence will be severely shaken As a result of some of the things that have come to light this week But Lord, I believe that if not only themselves but all of us, if we are true-hearted and honest, we will look to Jesus and he will provide the answers that we need, that his word will indeed be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. My prayer is, Lord, that you will guide us through your Holy Spirit in our study today. Bless those who are hurting, those who are bewildered, Those who are seeking to know you better, Lord, I believe you have the answers to all of their needs, and we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Last week in our study, we finished on Revelation 12, verse 17, which put a certain proposition to us as to what Satan, known as the dragon, was up to. Helen, I wondered if you could just refresh our memories from last week by rereading... Revelation 12 and verse 17 for us before we sail into a most exciting chapter chapter 13 of the book of Revelation
1: Thank you reading from the New Living Translation And um, Revelation 12:17, It says and the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus
3: So we have the dragon's rage turned against who?
1: Against the woman or against the church.
3: Against the true yeah. church. It's interesting God.
1: that he was called the fiery red mm. and Fiery as yes. the anger. Yes.
3: When you start chapter 13, it is a continuation obviously of chapter 12, but we find introduced two key players in this particular chapter. There is both the sea beast in the first part of the chapter, up to about verse 10 or 11, and then we follow with the land beast a little bit later on. Perhaps in summary it could be said this, that the sea beast is a counterfeit of Jesus Christ, and we will discuss that further as we get into it, and the land beast, we believe, is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Just as there is a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Satan also has three entities, not only himself but other entities working with him in his plans to derail uh, God's last message to the world.
1: It's like a counterfeit of the Godhead, isn't it? It and is Satan, like a Satan counterfeit is known to deceive, Godhead. but he wants to counterfeit mm. everything.
3: Yes, mm. yes, that's true. And we're going to have a look at that now. So, Lydia, I wonder if you could read verses 1 to 3 of chapter 13 of Revelation for us, please. And then we'll start to unpack it a little bit as we go along.
2: And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his strength, throne and great authority one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound but the fatal wound had been healed the whole world was astonished and followed the beast
3: thank you Lygia. what have we learned from these three verses so far first of all where does this beast actually come from now we're talking prophetically comes out of the sea thank you Legia and what does sea mean in prophecy we have touched on this in earlier studies
2: multitudes of people very populated areas
3: mm. C, C denotes an area yes Helen you can, can I suggest
1: that mm. we get the Bible to give us the answer mm.
3: well would you like to read it for in us please
1: Revelation 17 verse uh, 15 then the angel said to me the waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language so it was masses wasn't it mm. it was mm. um, a know, very multitude large volume of people of People. Yes, a yeah, large population
3: yeah. of people. By contrast, when we come to the second beast, which we'll discuss a little bit later, what part does that come up from? It doesn't come up from the sea where does it come from ken and
4: this is a beast from the land which is a very great land which i think we'll look into that
3: later on will be the united states of america mm-hmm. thank you it comes from an area yes an so?
1: unpopulated area yes compared sparsely
3: to populated what you talked about the yes. sea yep. yeah thank you all right now there are some characteristics of this that um, quite excite me when we read it <laughs> this beast receives its authority from who
4: The beast receives its authority from the
3: dragon. who And we know who the dragon is, Keith. The dragon is Satan. Right, okay. So we know straight away, given what was said about Satan last week in our study, and many of you who are listening will remember that, what did we say? Satan deceives the whole world. So this power is given its authority (coughs) by the chief deceiver. Helen, did you have a comment? on No, did?
1: I was just thinking when you were saying trying to deceive the whole world, you know how Satan, last week we learned that he, he wanted to attack Christ. Mm. And you remember in the wilderness that he wanted to have Jesus worship him. Yes. And now he's doing exactly the same to his followers.
3: What does it say, Deceptions? though? It uses three words that you often find in reference to Christ himself. And those words are in the second part of verse 2 that was just read. Can we reflect on it again? The dragon gave him his power. His power, his his
2: throne and great authority.
3: And great authority. Mm. Where else in Scripture do you find that? Don't you find that often used to refer to Jesus Christ who had a power? What did he say when he left this earth and went back to heaven, (coughs) a heaven king? Can you remember?
4: Yes, it said, all power is given unto me both on the earth and in heaven.
3: Christ himself said, I have all power in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here you find the counterfeit. You find it perfectly aligns with the statements that are made about Christ and the use of the power that he was given. You find here that the dragon is using another power through which he can work and bring about the things that he wants. Nick?
0: I just um, (coughs) wanted to underline the, the fact that the prophecy of this wonderful book Revelation uh, tells us lots of things and particularly for the prophecies which fulfilled Um, now we are still going to see some of the fulfillment of the Mm -hmm. prophecy and uh, even though we cannot say the exact things will happen in this or the other way we have the opening you know the picture opens because of the other prophecy which came to fulfillment and we are called to uh, be diligent, students of the Bible, to understand when we'll see things coming mm. up in this uh, world, as you just mentioned, because this beast representing, you know, people, multitudes, or uh, less populated places. And when we put together, this is, I want to just uh, underline this thing, this is not conspiracy theories. This is the Word of God, which we are looking into, mm. and we want to find uh, relevant the and Mm. the truth and the relevant um, explanation from the Bible. Mm, mm. Mm. Helen, you had a comment.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking when I first learned about some of the truths in Scripture, it was the prophecy from Daniel that convicted me Con- excited of the, you in first yeah, caught of the irritation. truth of the Bible, mm-hmm. yeah. and then if you if you use that in conjunction with revelation, you can see it very mm-hmm. you know very clearly mm-hmm. it 's all linked mm-hmm. in and it 's such a wonderful study you know to get into Doesn't it doesn
3: 't that confirm yeah. your faith in the veracity and the truthfulness of the oh, Bible
1: absolutely.
3: It does. absolutely Ken you had a comment
4: yeah look I just uh, really wanted to say something very similar to what Helen said when uh, when I first came to the Lord many years ago, it was reading a leaflet, and the leaflet said that certain things were in the Bible, which I'd never ever heard of, and the Bible spoke of all these things. And I went and checked it out, because I'm a very curious person, and was absolutely blown away that these things were actually in just an everyday Bible. So what's absolutely amazing today is that the Bible tells the whole story of the earth from the start to the beginning and the return of Jesus, and it is very very amazing to look into it mm.
1: i think too that you know when you first hear these these prophecies um we actually went went and said oh this can't possibly be true never heard of this before especially daniel 2 you mm. know with the big image yes. yeah. and going in and, and looking at history and every single prophecy had come true mm. in the way that it was said in the bible now that to me is just it there has to be a God that has done this only God would know the future mm. you mm. know it's just so I get a bit excited
4: <laughs> good
3: it's, <to> good. <laughs> it's, it's a good time to yeah. be excited isn't it but let's let's reflect just a little more on this particular beast it's called the sea beast we've discussed that it's come up out of the sea and Ledger rightly has told us that it's come up out of a populated area of the earth but it has certain characteristics it says it's like a leopard like a bear and like a lion now When we study the book of Daniel, we find that this beast is really a composite of all the beasts that are talked about in the early part of the book of Daniel, isn't it? Mm. So therefore it's talking about a beast at the end of time, not at the beginning of prophetic time. Does that make sense? Yes, it's a combination Mm. of the four beasts, yes. Now what is particularly interesting is that it says that one of the heads was mortally wounded. What do we understand um, that to
0: mean? Before we go to that uh, particular thing, I want to just uh, make a couple of comments in regard to this combination of mm-hmm. the images of the other beasts, uh, as you pointed out. Interesting that um, when in, in Daniel, talking about uh, the powers which succeeded, you know, another power and another power, it was Every time was something different coming up. Mm-hmm. But now this beast actually, it's a, like a combination of all those things. It's almost like um, gaining, you know, learning, if you like, from all the other powers. Put it all together and use it in one beast and the attack of this uh, ferocious beast. It, that's amazing, you know, because ah. uh, uh, Satan its uh, learning also from his mistakes
4: Mm. Yes, Mm. good
0: point. Every time
1: Nick speaks Mm. he jolts something in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you Nick I I was interested to see the animals that were depicted here Mm -hmm. in the beast Mm -hmm. as you said it was a combination You know it talks about looking like a leopard and when we think of a leopard they move fast
3: and they're ferocious
1: Yes, and ferocious and it talks about the feet of mm. the bear. You know mm. the action it's doing something, yeah. it's, it's out there but it also goes on to say the mouth of the lion and I found that really interesting when I just looked at those, char- those three characteristics mm. alone mm. give us a picture, a uh, pretty horrendous picture when you think about it mm. but it gives you a picture of this particular beast Well when
3: lions roar <laughs> they certainly uh, catch your attention. Yes. Uh, I have yes. African friends at our church and they tell me that on a good evening when a lion is roaring you can hear them five kilometers away <laughs>
0: mm. now just to answer to your question about the deadly wound which mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. mentions in the bible there and this we touched on this last week also about the period of uh, 1260 years uh, when uh, we could clearly see, and this we can go in the in the books of history, you know, just you don't need to look only in the Bible, and you'll see when this power, this beast, started to act like a real beast and to dominate the whole uh, world almost. But they come to a point, and we, I just mentioned that they will make come on that one and uh, during the French Revolution, was that 1798? 1798. 1790, yeah. When... Um, this beast uh, received a deadly wound when uh, when it was taken captive and uh, for a certain period of time they couldn't have any power anymore. But that deadly wound, we are going to see that uh, was getting healed. Sure. Thank you, Nick, for your comments there.
2: And also I would like to say that uh, this combination of, the, of these four characteristics of the beast are symbols of the world empire. Which, yeah, uh, Yeah. it's a parallelism um, between Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 2 to 7, and represents Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome.
3: Mm. Thank you, Lydia. It does. Uh, What's particularly significant about this beast is not only the fact that it had a deadly wound, and notice that it says that it was one of the heads of the beast that was wounded to receive a deadly wound. We know that in 1798 General Bertier was sent by the Pope uh, by uh, Napoleon to um, dissolve the papacy. Now, what probably most scholars don't tend to tell you is that in 1811 they elected another Pope. However, Napoleon abolished him and banished him as well. And, of course, Napoleon fell in 1815, and there was a whole series of things going on. But by about 1870, when Victor Emmanuel actually annexed all the papal states, the Pope basically went into salt mode. He sat in the Vatican, and he was like a king without anywhere to rule anymore. So, therefore, the fulfilment of this prophecy is definite. But, as Nick has quite rightly pointed out, since then there has been a dramatic change and what is significant is the next verse. Uh, Helen can you read verse 4 please? Yes Because we've got up to verse 3 but now we're into verse 4. What is the response of the world to the healing of this deadly wound?
1: Hmm. I I found it interesting just before I read that sure. in, in the version that I've got The New Living Translation it says But the fatal wound was healed yeah. It would be incredulous to think That that wound was ever going to be healed mm. True. That it was going to happen again And here we've got yeah. in verse 4 and I believe that ties in said they worshipped the dragon For giving the beast such power And they also worshipped the beast who is as great as the beast they exclaimed who is able to fight against him
3: mm, okay. okay my version says there who is like the beast mm. who was able to make war with him mm. now in the previous chapter that we studied last week in revelation 12 verse 7 we talked about a war in heaven camp who was it that fought against the dragon and his angels
4: well that was uh,
3: jesus yes. jesus christ and another name angels. for him is michael michael do you know what the name michael means who is like God. Here's this counterfeit being mm-hmm. worshipped, a representative of Satan, and people are worshipping this counterfeit and saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? Can you see the parallelism mm-hmm. that's going on here? Very, very exciting, isn't it? Uh, Brent, I'd just like to add
4: something <coughs> sure. to this, perhaps for mm-hmm. maybe maybe uh, jumping a little bit uh, ahead of things. I'm not sure we okay. want to cover it. <laughs> but I do think it's important, mm. uh, and that is that they worshipped the dragon, and, uh, and the beast Now I, I'm sure perhaps people are sitting out there thinking Well I don't worship the dragon And no. I don't worship the beast But unknowingly they actually are But they don't know it And I think this is a very important point
3: Ken it's a good point Because the whole of chapter 13 Relates to the issue of worship Have any of you done a word study On how many times the word worship Appears in this particular chapter and we'll get to some of the long
0: links. Talking about what, uh, just follow up with uh, what Ken said, that there are many uh, people who don't know that they are worshipping uh, this beast. On the other side, there are so many who opposed this beast at some period of time, and they are shaking hands, if you like, now, giving their allegiance, because that's what we are reading, the, uh, reading there, because mm-hmm. they, they give, they worship the mm-hmm. beast. And we'll come to see how important is that, because we are going to talk here about the reformation mm-hmm. uh, and and the power of the beast. And you'll see how those people who stood up against the beast at some point in time, they are now worshipping the beast, mm-hmm. intentionally. And that's that's very interesting, because for those people who don't know, that's why we are open the Bible here for people to understand and to uh, Mm. take knowledge about it
2: people who are worshipping the beast unknowingly is Mm. that uh, they don't have the right knowledge from the Bible Mm. and uh, worshipping God and not the beast it means to keep the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath as a holy uh, as God instituted and because of that they worship the beast unknowingly. Mm. But I would like I would like to say something else that the healing of the deadly wound of the beast points to a time after seventeen ninety eight when the beast would be revived and in power restored and the healing of the deadly wound draws the admiration of the world and they worship both the dragon and the beast. So that's mm. the problem. Mm. You know people stood up for for the to worship the beast and to admire him and to you know bow to him and so yeah Yeah. Mm.
3: i think what we've touched on so far if i can summarize what all of us as a panel have been saying is this is that many people today do not realize that if your worship is not true worship you are in fact worshiping the beast and we're going to find an identifying mark a little bit later as to exactly what this means but i want to go on to the next couple of verses because there is a word that starts with b that is frequently mentioned it was already mentioned in the first three or four verses and now it's coming up again it's verse five and he that's this beast was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months and as you pointed out nick That's the 1260-day period. Then he, that's the beast, opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, if you were in a court of law, these would be pretty serious charges, would they not? You would be saying to yourself that this person is intending on taking over the role that that person had in every aspect of that role. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm Okay, let's have a look then at what is the biblical definition of blasphemy. I believe there are two definitions. Uh, Can we have a look at them uh, together in our Bibles? Uh, The first one is found in John 10 and verse 33. And I wonder if someone could read that one. And the second one is found in the book of Luke, chapter 5. For those of you who are listening in and may have tablets or Bibles with you, The second one we're going to have a look at will be in the book of Luke, chapter five.
0: All right, I'm reading from uh, New King James Version, John 10 verse 33. Mm. The Jews answered him, saying, "For a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God." Okay, so one definition.
3: Thank you, Nick. You've put it very, very succinctly and very clearly, one definition of blasphemy according to scripture is what? A mere person claiming to be God. In this case, it was Jesus Christ, and we know that he was God. But the Jews sensed that his claim was at the highest possible level, and they were uh, in, in disagreement with it. The second statement is found in Luke chapter five.
1: Okay, yes. Luke
3: five verse twenty-one. These are two definitions of blasphemy which fit with the description of what we've read in Revelation thirteen so far. Mm,
1: they're very good texts. Luke five twenty-one mm. says. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins.
3: Okay, so in summary, the two definitions of blasphemy as found in Scripture are what? Claiming to be God. Number one, claiming to be God. Number two? To forgive sins. Claiming to forgive sins. Now, the next question we need to ask ourselves in our study is, Is there a religious power on earth who claims both of these prerogatives?
4: Absolutely. Yes. And, and it
0: has to it has to be the Roman Catholic Church if I could say on the even on the head because we're talking about here about the head yes uh, the mortal wound on the head uh, you know on the what the pope is wearing you know the mitre it's written vicarius fili dei which uh, if we translate it uh, that's the um, vicar in place the yeah of vicar of the son of god in place mm. of god
3: this is going to become a very interesting topic and we need to spend a little time on it I recognize that there are some other important factors in chapter 13 that we also need to get to so uh, Lydia, what Uh, comment were you going to make
2: verse 5 that we are just discussing now my uh, NIV uh, version it says that the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and Mm -hmm. blasphemies so proud words
3: yes no. God
2: loves humility not arrogancy mm-hmm. thank you can I just add quickly before we
1: get off this you were saying the beast was given yes you know my yeah. version says that the beast was allowed to speak these blasphemies against God mm-hmm. and, and to me when I read that I thought well that's interesting because he was only given that for a certain time but it shows to me that ultimately God is still in control yes God is still in control Mm. over all And that should give us hope
3: Yes Mm. Mm -hmm. Look uh, we do not wish in any way In our Bible study today To denigrate other religions So please do not get the impression We're doing that However history attests To the fact That there is only one Religio-political power Who claims the prerogatives of God And that is the papacy From the time of 538 AD You might remember last week We talked about that Justinian in 538 AD actually gave the first pope both political and religious power. They already had religious power. But from 538 AD on, he said that anybody who didn't confer to Catholicism... Now, let me understand or explain clearly what Catholicism is. The word Catholic means universal. So anybody who didn't convert to the church would be in serious trouble, either by martyrdom, confiscation of property or whatever. And this power then proceeded to become not only religious, but also political. And during the Dark Ages, and they were Dark Ages, it was the power of Rome behind the state that dealt with heretics. In fact, uh, various estimates have been made as to how many people lost their lives. The minimum, I've heard, is 50 million people. I can give you the definition and the reference for it, but that's the minimum. Some people say it was a lot more than that. These faithful people lost their lives because they were not willing to bow to the power of of an apostate religion that had departed so far from God that it believed its own traditions were sufficient to sustain Mm -hmm its um, orders and prerogatives. Nick were you going to
0: make a comment I was going to say that you mentioned the word that we are not here to blame or to criticize uh, religion and just came in my mind uh, you know the um, attitudes of a wonderful man in history uh, Martin Luther who was part of this uh, church big church and he was a very dedicated uh, monk but he searched the Bible and when he saw what the Bible is requesting for a child of God to do he change around and he would love to be for the rest of his life a Catholic you know mm, sure. but in the right way mm. the thing is that this power will not hesitate to to attack deceive to do everything what it can because the power was, was received from the beast mm. you know, from the dragon sure. uh, mm. in other words
3: mm. directly it came from the dragon it was transferred to the beast and the beast to Carried out the dragon's wishes. Ken, I think you.
4: Yeah, look, I just want to to add a bit here because (laughs) some of the stuff we're going to look into today and and on these lessons is very, very heavy stuff. And I'd just like to reassure uh, our listeners, Catholic listeners who may be listening please don't switch off to this check these things out in your Bible mm. Uh, mm. Now, as an example I know many Catholics don't read their Bible uh, my very best friend is Catholic he never reads his Bible and yet all this information is available to us so we're not having a dig at the Catholic religion just the instructions
3: mm. certainly let me share a couple of titles that the church actually claims for its visible head namely the Pope the Pope is the Vicar of Christ the pastor of the entire Christian church. That is one of the claims that the church itself makes. Now, the next one is quite unsettling. Full supreme universal power over the whole church. Note that a power which he, that's the Pope, can always exercise unhindered. Now, this suggests to me that the church sees itself as above the law And if you want any proof of that, those of you who have been following the court case this week, you'll find that the judge's comments that he has made regarding uh, the accused and what he has said, the judge actually stated in one place that you think you're above the law, that you can do what you like. Now, is that a situation that applies to the whole of the church? I don't know, and I'm not in a position to judge. But the Bible says that this power would have an arrogancy that would place it on an equality with God and that it would deign to speak on behalf of God when God has not given it any authority to do so. Let me give you one more. The two first two titles of the Pope are these, the Bishop of Rome and the Vicar of Jesus Christ. Now, whatever way you choose to interpret these particular things, they certainly give you the view that uh, this power and its head claims to have total ...religious authority over all churches. Therefore, fulfilling, does it not, what's actually said here. But I want someone to read Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4 for me, please. Ken, could you read those? I know you have a, a King James Bible. Second Thessalonians 2, for our listeners, is considered by some Bible scholars... ...to be one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to interpret. And yet, as always, if we have a humble spirit and we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in our study, I believe that the Bible can interpret itself. Now, let's see if what Ken is about to read mm-hmm. aligns or accords with what we have read in Revelation chapter 13. Thanks, Ken. Sorry, Second but... Thessalonians 2, verses
4: 3 and 4. 2, 3 and 4. Okay. Just again reading out of the King James Version, uh, starting in 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the
3: temple of God showing himself that he is God. Can you see the arrogancy of this statement? This is all about me. It's, it has no biblical support. It has not, certainly not has not the support of Jesus Christ Himself, and yet this power is. Liji, your my, hand is bobbing up and down. <laughs> my
2: my version says uh, actually that for the day will not come until the rebellion occurs, yes. mm-hmm. and the man of lawlessness is revealed.
3: The man doomed to destruction. Mm, that's that's a good point. I mm. think can you read uh, the Son of Perdition, the only other person in the Bible that we know of where the term son of perdition is used is it was used of Judas Iscariot Iscariot, who who betrayed Jesus Christ. Is there a similarity here? I think there might be. As I've said folk repeatedly let the Bible interpret itself and if you do that and you pray the Holy Spirit will show you as you compare scripture with scripture the truth that is found in these words. I I find this quite exciting Mm. because, uh, Helen, you've...
1: I'm just interesting that we can identify from what's happening here, but I don't think it's so much our attempts to identify this man of lawlessness more so than the fact we must be ready for anything that threatens our faith. Mm. Mm. And and that's the bottom line there.
3: Yeah. Just one point before we move on from that because we're only halfway through the chapter in fact less than halfway through the chapter and time is marching on I want someone uh, to turn to John chapter 20 and verse 23 for me because the church, the Catholic church claims its primacy in religious matters it claims that it does have the power to forgive, someone asked the question but God alone has power to forgive sins and they said you're 100% right And then they proceeded to say, but who did Jesus delegate power to when he went back to heaven? And, of course, immediately the issue of Peter as the first pope is brought up, uh, mention of Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16, on this rock I will build my church, etc., etc. So the church believes, I believe sincerely, the church believes that it does have the authority to forgive sins Mm -hmm. based on the delegated authority that Christ gave to Peter and the other apostles but nowhere in the word of God do we find that God ever delegated to man the authority to forgive sins he delegated to man the authority to announce the forgiveness of sins but not actually forgive sins is that a valid point absolutely okay can someone read John 20 and verse 23 for me please Helen uh, I think we might be back to one of you not sure who
2: if you forgive anyone his sins they are forgiven if you do not forgive them they are not forgiven but this is uh, this is talking about on our part if someone done something against me i have to forgive him Otherwise, the Lord cannot forgive me because That's I'm a not a, f- a forgivable person. That's a good point.
3: It's not talking about a corporate forgiveness. Exactly. It's talking about individual forgiveness.
2: Exactly.
3: Uh, do we need further clarification? Thank you, uh, Legit. That's a good point. Helen, can you read Acts 4 verse 12? And let's see what Peter himself had to say. After all, if Peter was the first pope, we need to actually test that claim by what Peter actually says himself. And we're going to come to a couple of texts in just a minute
1: okay acts 4 verse 12 says there is salvation in no one else god has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved
3: now if a person can forgive sins in a sense that is saving them is it not Mm -hmm. if your sins are forgiven aren't you in a saved relationship Mm -hmm. what is peter saying here he's saying there's no other name under heaven Mm -hmm. given among men whereby we must be saved Yes. Peter is acknowledging that there is only one source of salvation, one source of true forgiveness. We, as Christ followers, can announce the good news that Christ can forgive. But we cannot forgive on a corporate basis.
0: Mm. Nick? I'm just going to talk a little bit about the claim that the, the Pope, and particularly the um, body of the bishops, that they are infallible. Yes. And uh, it's interesting because I was just reading something about that, and that brought the the passage to attention, which y- you just discussed uh, a bit earlier, that the authority was given and mentioned to Peter, whatever you will bound on this earth will be bound on in heaven. He's not talking the f- uh, here about the forgiveness of, of sins, for example. And more interesting is that Jesus was talking to his disciples. Because he told them, he teach what they should do, you know, and express uh, in their uh, public uh, ministry, if you like. Mm-hmm. But when I look to the this power uh, as we talk about today, that's a lot of things that which Jesus haven't told. They're changing the law of God, for example. Mm-hmm. They do mm-hmm. different things. They're, they're yeah. misrepresenting God. Then mm-hmm. how can you pretend that you have the authority to forgive sin or to be infallible when you are misrepresented God. Yes, good point, Nick. Um, Helen, you...
1: Yeah, I I believe as Christians that we should be open-minded on many issues, but not on this issue on how to be saved. The Bible is very, very clear. There is no religious leader that has that authority, Mm. you know for salvation or forgiveness Mm. you know there's no religious leader that came from heaven Mm. you know to die for us and and i i just think that our focus needs to be uh, and also no religious leader has risen from the dead as jesus did Mm. only through Mm. him salvation so i really believe that our focus needs to be not on our religious teachers but our focus needs to be Mm. completely holy on christ
3: Thank you, mm-hmm. Helen, and the rest of uh, our panel for that. Let mm-hmm. me read a statement, though, that certainly brings this into sharp focus mm-hmm. as we compare the claims and the, shall we say, the activities of this power with the activities of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who is the High Priest in heaven and who is now ministering on our behalf, and who we know from 1 John nine, which says, if we confess our sins, he, that's not a priest, that's not the minister, That's not the bishop. That's not the general conference president. He, Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from. It's a two-part process. Not only forgiveness, but cleansing. But let me read this statement. The priest not only declares that the sinner is forgiven, but he really forgives him. So great is the power of the priest that the judgments of heaven itself... Are subject to his decision wow. now that is a direct claim a direct statement from Catholic material and can I say with all kindness that's as close to blasphemy as I've read mm.
4: and of course as you've just pointed out Brenton
3: nowhere in the Bible does it make this claim it doesn't make that claim and Peter <coughs> doesn't make it either please turn in your Bibles to 1st Peter and 2nd Peter. We're going to have a look at two verses. Helen, I'd like, like you to read 1st Peter chapter 1 verse uh-huh. 1.
1: 1st Peter 1 verse 1.
3: Yes.
1: And it says here, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, mm. Asia and Bithynia. Is that now, the one you want? Yes, that's mm-hmm. the one.
3: And now can you turn to chapter 2nd uh, uh, Peter? Chapter 1, verse 1, and I'd like someone else to read 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. What I want you to do is see what Peter says about himself. After all, if we are to test the claims of this church, that they are in fact the successors of Peter the first pope, what does Peter himself say about his role in the early Christian church? Surely that is a valid argument or a valid uh, approach. So, what does 2 Peter 1 and verse 1 say? Helen, read it again? One too, okay. I'll get Ken to read 1 Peter 5, verse 1. 2
1: Peter 1, 1 says, This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ.
3: Now, does that suggest primacy in all spiritual matters? A slave? Slave and apostle. The Greek word, doulos. Yes.
1: It's very clear, did, isn't it? Did
3: Peter view himself as the first pope, as the leader of the Christian church? He says, I'm a slave, I'm an apostle. Not your failure. Yes. Thank you. Ken, you've got 1 Peter 5, verse 1.
4: The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and now, also
3: yep. a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Thank you, Ken. Now, is there any sign of primacy in this mm-hmm. issue? Mm-hmm. Does Peter at any point in any of the statements that we have read so far say, I'm not above you. <laughs> no, not, mm, no. Mm. not at all.
1: I was just thinking the the phrase that well, Nick you just said about being infallible. Or one of you brought that up. Um, when uh, one of the, the key texts that is used is that um, Peter was told he was the rock. Mm. But when you look at that, I mean, it means the the Greek word means yeah, a little petrol. little pebble. Right. But in actual fact, even if you looked at it and said, "Well, you know, Jesus said, you know, He was the rock. He was the, the cornerstone of our church. He was the foundation," mm. and yet it wasn't very long after what happened, He gave in to the temptation mm. of Satan. No, that's right. That certainly is not infallibility.
0: No, no, it certainly so, isn't. But, but he, on that one, it's worth to to just explain because Jesus uh, spoke about Himself mm. being yes. the cornerstone. Yes, yes. He and He's the the rock. Um, Peter was. Petros, yes, Petros, the pebble in, uh, like in your shoes, when it's really disturbing you, you know. Yes, I would like now because the time is going very fast today, and As we spoke always. a lot about the the beast coming out of the sea, and we have to move on to see a little bit and the the parallel mm. and and. Uh, The work of the beast coming from the land.
1: Can I just finish what we're saying there? Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. But he was talking about himself. We need to be clear on that. He was talking
3: about the statement that Peter made. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the statement upon which the church is built. Moving on to the second part of Revelation 13, uh, we find a land beast. Uh, there are various characteristics, in fact, um, one of the books I was reading recently lists as many as 15 different characteristics to identify this beast. We need to tread carefully, as Nick said earlier on, because in to some degree we are dealing with unfulfilled prophecy. So therefore we cannot and should not be dogmatic in our approach. However, we believe that this power is the United States of America. And notice a change in tactics. In the first part, and we didn't really finish the sea beast, we only talked about the various aspects of it, but further on we find that he had authority over the saints and persecuted them for 1,260 years, and we did touch on that fact. Uh, some, um, some of you may have read a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. My late father had the book. Horrific reading of some of the uh, terrible deaths that these people died as a result of wanting to be true to the Lord. But now this this beast, Satan it seems as though has worked on the theory that persecution will get him over the line and bring everyone into order, not working, <laughs> so he calls into play the second beast, the land beast. Now what is the primary characteristic of this beast in coercing people into following the first beast it does give you an answer in chapter 13 uh, can re- someone read about verse 13 and 14 for us please you
4: can do that, as nick
3: has quite <coughs> rightly pointed out our time is going quickly so we're going to have to summarize
4: okay this is yes. chapter 13 mm-hmm. verse 13 and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth By the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image
3: to the beast which had a wound by a sword and did live. Thank you, Ken. (laughs) To summarize all of what Ken has read very quickly, the tactic has changed. It's changed from one of persecution, it's changed from one of dogmatism to one of deception. And the deception is such that it says this power even ultimately brings fire down from heaven. You all know the examples in the Old Testament of when fire came down from heaven. What was the purpose of fire coming down from heaven? What was it to prove or demonstrate? Well, in the particular case, I think
4: that think we're of talking Elijah. about, mm-hmm. yes, it, it was to show uh, the the true prophet from the false prophets. And the false prophets have been praying all day to try to get mm-hmm. something to happen. But of course... Uh, Elijah, who been the true prophet, he prayed to God, and God did send fire down mm. from heaven. Mm. He did. Yes, Helen. I think it was an, an indication,
1: an indication of God's blessing, uh, on mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. Elijah mm-hmm. was doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the deception comes in at the end of time. People will see these miracles, this fire, and they will believe that God has blessed mm. this particular power. Mm. And
0: also, another uh, aspect of fire is judgment, because uh, many times in the Bible we can see that. Uh, relation in between, uh, you know, fire and judgment. And we are now in a position when all these things happen to be able to judge where we are, mm-hmm. you know, because God mm-hmm. is going to judge yes. and if we will not be on the right side, then we'll uh, suffer uh, the Consequences, <laughs> the consum- consuming power of the <laughs> mm. <laughs> fire. I
3: think we what needs to be said here is is this in the Old Testament you invariably find whenever fire fell from heaven, it fell to confirm the true God. It fell on Mount Carmel, on the correct altar. But in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, fire falls, as it were, on the wrong altar because it's a deceptive power that is now bringing down fire from heaven. But you can see very easily that if you do not understand your Bible, if you do not read your Bible, how easily it
0: would be to be taken in by all of this
4: Mm.
0: Yes, and and just mentioning briefly, we're living in a time when we can see what's happening around by the public declaration of of the leaders of this world, and politically and uh, religiously just recently I I just witnessed something uh, amazing, when uh, uh, leaders of the uh, protestant Churches, you know, mm. they mm. shake hands with uh, with Vatican, saying that protest is over. You know, we should unite together. The president of the United States, which is the leader of the prot- one of the the first Protestant country, he makes declarations like uh, to have the authority, you know, to implement, you know, the state of emergency and mm. stuff like that. Mm. And his most closely uh, people who advi- advisors mm. are from these groups both yeah. from the charismatic movement and from the Catholic Church. Hmm.
3: There is a comment on page 115 of the book that I'm looking at. Is, does someone else have that? Uh, down the bottom there, I'd, I'd, I'd like, Helen, would you like to read it, please? It says, When the leading churches of the United States...
1: Just that one paragraph?
3: Uh, you can read right to Go the ahead. bottom of the page, okay. if you don't mind, please.
1: I've got. I when think the it leading,
3: summarizes it fairly well.
1: Yeah, when the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points of doctrines as are held by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy, and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. The image to the beast represents the form of apostate Protestant. Post, here we go. <laughs> apostate
3: Protestantism. Yes, which
1: will be developed when the mm. Protestant churches <clears throat> shall seek the aid of the civil power for the enforcement of their dogma. Mm.
3: Isn't that an interesting yeah. comment? Because as we come mm. to the end of this chapter, and we haven't even got to the mark of the beast as yet, mm. uh, and we have limited amount of time, we will try and touch on that as quickly as we can because it is important. But here you find that an apostate religious power relies on the power of the state to enforce what it believes because it has lost the power that comes from the Holy Spirit mm. it has lost the power that has come from God because it has transgressed it has wandered away and become an apostate power mm. and Christendom unfortunately is facing this as a crisis it's a real crisis uh, I found that out when I was in Spain
0: mm. I just, just that statement which Helen just read uh, if you consider that was written over a hundred years ago. Mm. Uh, how uh, how important is that, and how relevant is for the for the yeah, time we live in?
3: Okay, moving on to the mark of the beast. Um, some people get themselves into uh, real froth over the mark of the beast, and yet the Bible. Does clearly indicate some characteristics by which we can determine what it is. But can
1: can I suggest? I yes. know the Bible uses the word mark, it and does. that's where people get hung up on this this they thing. Do. You know, because you think
3: it's a physical one. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas over the years, I've kind of thought about that, and to me, it's more like um, it's like a badge, a badge of, of loyalty. Mm-hmm. You yes. know. Okay. But,
3: mm. However, there is a comment here that I'd like to read <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
3: in the Protestant Reformation, which these days is virtually dead and buried but it just hasn't been buried Nick you touched on that point there's no protest anymore against Rome and the uh, shall we say the false doctrines of Rome but this is interesting I'm going to read you this statement the church of Rome claims that it does have authority over all churches and it says this Of course the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. This is the change in the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. And this act is a mark, notice that, of her ecclesiastical power and authority in all religious matters. Therefore Martin Luther, who um, Nick alluded to earlier on, and Martin Luther was a great man, but sometimes they used to get into a debate on this particular issue and the defenders of the papal, System used to say to them, okay, you believe that you're following the Bible and the Bible alone. Yep, we are. Okay, how then do you account for the fact that you were worshipping on Sunday? There is no scriptural authority anywhere in scripture that says that you should worship on the first day of the week. If you claim to be following the Bible, you will keep the Sabbath day holy. In fact, the church itself acknowledges that if you want to uh, keep the day that the Lord has set aside, as revealed in the Word of God, you will become a Seventh-day Adventist and keep the Seventh-day holy because we as a people keep that day holy, along with others who also keep it a holy as well. Nick is ready to jump straight in. I, I, was just <laughs> going, I was just
0: going to say that that's why it's a deception, you know, because, yeah, uh, <laughs> um, as you just said, uh, Satan worked all over the years to counterfeit and to to. Work in such a cunning way that the people who pretend that they represent God and follow mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. they actually, uh, and the Roman Catholic Church is right for this. Uh, will say, come back it home, is quite correct. Yeah, come back home, uh, the rebellious daughters, you know, mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. Mother Church, mm-hmm. because it's not different in between you and us. What do you claim uh, of uh, being uh, Protestants if you follow exactly mm-hmm. what we mm-hmm. instituted, and that was referring to the Sunday as the day of or- True. We'll worship. Ken,
3: were you going to make a comment? Yeah, I, think well, I you just will. want to make something <laughs> again. I
0: think it's pretty important, uh,
4: and that is this uh, this day of worship. Uh, I know some of my Catholic friends say to me, well, does it really matter what day we worship, as long as we worship? And unfortunately, uh, when the, the the return of Jesus comes, it's going to be very critical, so you really need to get the day right.
1: Mm. Let's remember that even though we're doing this study, and, and it would appear that... Um, I don't want people to get the impression that we're saying that all those people that are worshipping in that system, in the Roman system that they're all unsaved there's no hope i think we need to be very clear on that Mm. that jesus has his his people in many many folds Mm. and Mm. that's one of the reasons we do these studies is so that we can present you Mm. know from the bible and we stand on the bible and and our listeners can go back and study it Mm. and through the power of the holy spirit they they will have their eyes Mm. opened and be amongst
2: the saved. yes
3: can someone read us verse 16 and 17 of revelation 13
2: He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, Mm -hmm. so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Mm -hmm. Uh, We observe here that the mark of the beast is not a visible sign Mm -hmm. of any kind, but its placement on the right hand or on the forehead counterfeits the instruction that Moses gave to the Israelites to bind God's law as a sign upon their hands or their foreheads in Deuteronomy six eight. Yes. But placing the mark on the right hand has to do with the behavior, with the work, mm-hmm. working on Sabbath, yes. and uh, on the forehead has to do with the mind or the mental agreement. So I I do agree. Not to worship the Sabbath So worship and obedience to God In keeping his commandments So the Sabbath commandment
3: Hmm. Some will choose to receive the mark of the beast To escape the threat of death While others will be fully committed Mentally and spiritually the apostate system Mm. of worship any other comments on this because nick is about to give me a couple of minutes
1: on that text (laughs) that was just that lydia just read you know it was we're seeing here that this will be control of the world's economy Mm. you know i've had people say to me oh that can never happen Mm. never happen you know and and we were told years ago you wouldn't have a cashless society and yet we are Mm. heading that way Mm. look at all the cards that we have which which i find extremely Mm. interesting Mm. but i was thinking about this and i was thinking it was not only um when it says about the right hand and the forehead not only the uh, the labor that they were doing the actions they were doing which is the hand and and it was also their belief
3: Mm. in their forehead and the belief system is brought about by what according to what we read earlier deception yes when you see miracles being performed before you and the fire that comes down from heaven, uh, maybe I should make a brief comment on that. Some commentators believe that that's talking about the charismatic movement because of okay. the fire, that, the tongues of fire that descended on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. It may be that, but I would also be- wish to believe, on the basis of what scripture teaches and what the Old Testament teaches, that physical fire might also be an attribute. Because today, many, many people are really not turned on by speaking in tongues. The people are becoming increasingly cynical over speaking in tongues. The problem with speaking in tongues is simply that those who hear them generally can't understand them. So therefore, there's no real benefit. However, physical fire falling from heaven on an altar or something like that is a whole different matter. But again, we need to be careful. This is unfulfilled prophecy and we must not speculate too much, but I think we have enough comparing the Old Testament with the New Testament to give us a direction. Nick?
0: I was just going to say very quickly that uh, we invite uh, everyone you know, to consider this Bible study and passage in the Bible which says, to the law and the testimony of Jesus, which m- which means the law of God, the Bible, and the spirit of prophecy is that will enlighten us to see where we are and not to be fooled... And let's not be not be ignorant, because Helen, you mentioned earlier that there are lots of people uh, in different folds, but God is asking all, all those people to wake up. And He even said, I'll bring them in my fold, mm-hmm. not uh, to stay in their folds and in their state of mind, but where God wants mm-hmm. them to be.
3: Can I encourage our listeners to consider that what we're studying today actually is life and death issues. Yes. It makes it very clear in chapter 13, and we only touched on it briefly, that if you don't ultimately worship the beast and his image, you will be killed, or a decree will go out that you'll be killed. In other words, you'll be placed in the same situation as the martyrs of the Middle Ages. You won't be allowed to buy or sell. We are not here to peddle doom and gloom. We're not here to peddle fear. What we're here to do is to say, will you be true to the Lord? though the heavens fall and I'm reminded immediately of three boys who said that God was able to deliver them and even if God chose not to deliver them they still would not worship the beast or the image that he had set up Mm -hmm. my prayer for each and every one of us both as a panel and as, as listeners will you be true to God today regardless of the consequences That's where I think we we will finish our study today. Thanks, Ray. Ken, I think you're going to close with prayer for us.
4: Yes. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to go into your word. We understand, Lord, that the book of Revelation is a very heavy book for many people, and we know, Lord, many people don't even read this book. But we do encourage them, Lord, with the Holy Spirit to go through this seek these things out look into it deeply pray to you heavenly father and find the truth that is so critical in the age we live in Mm. and we just pray for all our listeners lord god today for you to be with them in the name of jesus Mm. amen. Amen. amen amen